Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. It's been fun, hasn't it? I think so. Um, if you haven't had fun, I haven't been doing a good job. But, uh, yeah, so this is my last day. So I get to do some weird stuff and it doesn't matter, right? Okay. Well, I, th- I thought I'd like to tell you one more story before I leave. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is the reversed standard version of, of the Bible. You can find the real, the real uh, version in the, in the Bible Bible. But kids, thanks for staying. Okay, we'll let you go in just a little bit. But I'm going to visit this story uh, at the end of our study of Judges in a little bit. But this is, I just wanted the kids to be here to, to get my version on this for a little while, okay? So this is called Samuel and the Strange Sound. Well, several years ago, on a serene summer night, a small servant named Samuel was sleeping in his soft sofa bed. Well, Samuel stirred in his sleep because he seemed to sense a strange sound, as if someone was saying something. Then he was suddenly startled from his slumber because this strange sound said, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel sat up and he slid onto the slick stone floor. The cold stone sent a shiver through Samuel. So he slipped on his slippers and set out to search for the strange sound. Samuel was sort of scared because he wasn't so sure if it was smart to be searching for a strange sound when he could scarcely see his own shadow. This is sort of spooky, said Samuel. I sure hope I don't see some spooks or snakes or swarm of spiders or some slimy salamanders or anything scary like that. Well, then Samuel saw something that sent shivers down his spine. He saw a shimmering shadow. Samuel was so scared that he started to sweat. He squinted to see the shadow as he slowly stepped toward the shimmering sight. Well, then Samuel let out a big sigh as he saw that the shimmering shadow was just coming from a starlight shining through the chandelier. (laughs) Samuel was still stymied, though. Where did that strange sound start? He said to himself. So he sat down on the stairs and started to think. Well, after several seconds, with a slight smile on his face, he spouted, I know what that strange sound is. It has got to be the superintendent snoring. You see, the sanctuary superintendent was named Eli, and Samuel was the superintendent's servant. Eli had been the superintendent for several seasons. As a matter of fact, he had been the superintendent before Samuel had even come to be a servant in the sanctuary. Eli was very nice, and he had told Samuel, though he was only seven years old, he he was super sharp. And someday soon he would see that serving in the sanctuary was something super special, and that he might even step into the superintendent's shoes someday. So Samuel sneaked straight over to see if the strange sound was really the superintendent snoring in his sleep. Well, to Samuel's surprise, he wasn't snoring at all. 
So Samuel softly shook the superintendent and said, Sir, I'm sorry that I stirred you from your slumber, but I was sleeping and suddenly sensed a strange sound. It seemed as if someone said, Samuel, Samuel. So I started to search for the sound, and after searching for some time, I said to myself that the sound must surely be the superintendent snoring. So when I saw you sleeping and saw that you weren't snoring, I stirred stirred you from your slumber to see if maybe you said, Samuel, Samuel, to summon me for something special. (sighs) There you go. Thank you. Did you say that, sir? (laughs) Then Eli sat straight up and sleepily said, Oh, Samuel, you are so silly. I would never summon you in my sleep. Now see if you can get some shut-eye. Then the superintendent slipped under his sheets and fell soundly asleep again. How could I be so silly, Samuel said to himself as he sped back to his soft sofa to go to sleep. But just as he started to slip off his slippers, the strange sound started again. The sound seemed to softly say, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel was scared speechless. He was so scared that he couldn't even speak a single syllable. So Samuel streaked in to see the superintendent and shouted, Sir, sir, I'm sorry, sir, but that strange sound is speaking again. And it said, Samuel, Samuel, did you say that to summon me, sir? Eli sat up again and said, No, Samuel. Maybe the sound is just a sparrow singing or a swallow swallowing. But I didn't say a single sound. Now, please see if you can get some sleep. It's not good for you to be sneaking around the sanctuary in your night shirt and your socks. Yes, sir, Samuel said sullenly as he stepped slowly back to snuggle down under his sheets. But once again, just as soon as Samuel shut his eyes, the strange sound started again. It said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel was so shook up that he started to shake. The suspense was starting to become severe. But Samuel said to himself, snap out of it, Sam. The only sensible solution to this strange situation is that the superintendent must be summoning me in his sleep. So once again, Samuel swiftly sped to see Eli. And just as Samuel suspected, the superintendent was sound asleep. So he shook him softly and said, Sir, I'm sorry to stir you again, but that strange sound spoke to me again. It said, Samuel, Samuel, and I can't sleep until the situation is settled. Are you sure you didn't summon me? Then the superintendent sat up and he said something that startled Samuel. Samuel, the strange sound that is summoning you is God, the Savior. He must have something very special that he wants to say to you. So go sit on your sofa, and when he speaks again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel's eyes got as big as saucers, and all he could say was, Wow. (laughs) So Samuel went and sat on his sofa just like the superintendent said. Then God said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then he sat and he listened as God asked him to be his very special servant. Well, Samuel served God in a very special way after that. And he soon became one of the most special servants that anyone in the sanctuary had ever seen. Matter of fact, he became one of God's very special servants. And he served the Savior with all of his strength for the rest of his life. And that's the end of that story.
All right. So now, kids, you can go to Children's Church. All right? Yeah, you guys take off. Well, thank you for putting up with my silliness. Uh. (laughs) Well, let's read what the Scripture says about the Scripture. All right, together? Here we go. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. I hope that you keep revisiting that uh, because it's so true. The Bible has everything we need to live a, a good and righteous life before God. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Judges. All right, this is it. We're going to finish Judges today, and then I have a little addendum. Um, but I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever seen or heard something that you wish you didn't? I mean, it was something that was just so bad that you just, you, you just, oh, you just want to erase it from your memory and you can't seem to get rid of the image in your mind. Well, that's what this last bit of Judges is. It is the most heinous, the most awful story that I have read in Scripture. It is absolutely terrible. And, uh, Honestly, I'm not going to read it today. Now, you might say, oh, well, all Scripture is inspired. It is. But, you know, one of the things that Scripture does that actually proves the truth of the Scriptures is it doesn't hold back the bad stuff. I mean, most people, if they want to be, you know, a, a great leader or whatever, they don't want to tell you all the bad things that have happened. But the Bible, it tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth Good and bad. But I'm going to rely on your ability to read. And I want you to read through the last part of Judges on your own. Um, We're going to touch on little bits and and pieces of it. But uh, the takeaways, I think, are the important thing here. But I'm going to condense it for you here. All right. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now, in those days, Israel had no king. We've talked a little bit about that. We've talked a little bit about how uh, there is a huge parallel to the United States, how we have no king over us, right? We're a democratic state. We all get to weigh in on everything, which is not always a great thing, a good thing. But uh, we're a little bit of a rebellious people. We want to be able to have our say, to weigh in, to to have, have our opinion heard. And so we all have our own way of looking at things and doing things. And we lean in very hard to our own opinions. And so in those days, Israel had no king. Now, this is the period between judges and the kingship that actually happened eventually. That wasn't necessarily a great thing because it was a human king, not the king of kings, right? But if you keep going, it says there was a man in the tribe of Levi living in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim. And one day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. 
But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and to pursue, persuade her to come back. Now, fast forward a little bit. And it says in verse 14 that the sun was setting as they came to Gibeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. And so they stopped there to spend the night. And they rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. And that evening, verse 16, an old man came home from his work in the fields, and he was from the hill country of Ephraim. But he was living in Gibeah, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. So this is the the territory of the tribe of Benjamin that they're that they're at right now. Verse 20 says this, You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I'll give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. He knew that something was up. Now, most of us know what happened from there. That's the part that you can read on your own. It's terrible. It's awful. It involves lots and lots of bad stuff. And so if you fast forward um, to condense things, it says such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? Things had degraded so badly that Homosexuality was rampant. It wasn't unusual to have concubines and, and have prostitutes. It was just a way of life. And so in this story, something happens so bad. Yes, there's a death, but it is so gruesome. It is so terrible that the whole of Israel said, we've got to stop. We, we've got to press the pause button here, folks. Have we gotten so used to being entertained by evil that we're not even thinking about it anymore? It's huge. And this is the world we live in right now. There are so many bad things that are going on and we become numb. That's what the whole book of Judges is about. It's about the evil in the world that if we don't pay attention to the king of kings, if we don't get our direction from God, not man, not what people think is okay, what happens is anarchy. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And then something happens And it's evil. Anarchy can't help but go toward evil. And we see it all around us. And and there are a few people who stop and say, somebody's got to speak the truth. Somebody's got to say something. What are we going to do about this? And as Christians, that should be us. It should be us who throw up our hands and say, enough is enough. And we've got to be involving ourselves in that process of saying enough is enough for us. We've been complicit. We've been a part of the problem. 
we haven't spoken up. We haven't said enough. We haven't done enough, maybe. And God is appealing to us through the scripture. Well, in chapter 20, it says this, Then all the Israelites were united as one man. And so that they go to the tribe of Benjamin. They say, give up those evil men, those troublemakers from Gibeah, so we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. Go figure, right? Instead, they came from their towns and they gathered at Gibeah to fight the Israelites. Now, I'll condense this for you. In all... I did the numbers, did the math, and somebody will figure out that I'm wrong, but that's fine, okay, because um, I'm not great at math. But at, according to my figures, after doing the math, 40,030 soldiers of Israelites died in this skirmish, this war, this civil war that started to happen, right? And of the Benjamite soldiers... Uh, the ones who died, uh, not including women and children and livestock, 50,000 from Benjamin. So almost 100,000 men, these are just the soldiers now, perished in this skirmish over this evil act that a few men from the tribe of Benjamin enacted on someone from the tribe of Levi. Now, what's interesting is that it says that only 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin survived. <clears throat> only 600. And uh, it says in verse 48, And the Israelites returned. They slaughtered every living thing in all the towns, all the people, the livestock, and everything they found. So literally, the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out except for 600 men who had run off to the hills to hide. And what happened was there was, there was some, some grief over the fact that a tribe of Israel had been eliminated, right? And so then you think, okay, you know, there were a, a group of people that did something terrible, and then, you know, the rest of the Benjamites came to their, to their defense, and in the, in all, at the end of the story, you see the entire tribe of Israel is wiped out except for 600 men. And so they're saying, how, how will they be able to continue? And so then the people of Israel say, well, when, when the women of Shiloh go out and they have their festival and they do their dancing and stuff, you 600 men just go out and grab a woman off the street, take her home and get her pregnant and you can start your, your thing again, you know? Wow. Weird solution. That's the kind of thinking that was going on. And it it ends with verse 25 of chapter 21. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's the end of the day. That's the end of the book. You think, wow. You know, we're still all prone to go there. What was the original sin? The original sin is that Satan tempts Adam and Eve to what? To want to be God, just like he wanted to be God. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. 
I'm going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to say this is good for me. This is evil for me. I'm going to make that decision myself. But you know, the only one who was qualified to make that decision is the creator. And he says what's right. And he says what's wrong. And unless we allow him to be the king of our life, we can spiral down and be in the same place that the Israelites found themselves. Let me give you a couple of takeaways from all this. Uh, when there's anarchy, when, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, one of the things that happens is that people aren't treated as equals. See, because I'm better than you are. That's the essence of anarchy. Everybody thinks that they've got the best idea. They've got the, the, the right thing, not the wrong thing. And they, and they basically come together and they say, well, if you don't think the way I think, then I will overpower you with my strength, my ability, whatever I have, the resources that are at my fingertips. And so people aren't treated as equals. We see women treated as property, uh, not equals. It's just people aren't treated in God's image as we were all created to be image bearers of God, to be like him, to reflect his glory. And that's how we need to treat one another, that we are all special, no matter what race we are, no matter what gender we are. We are all created in the likeness and the image of God, and we need to get our rules from God, right, about how we treat each other as people. I see that there's a disregard of God's design for relationships, People discard God's plan for holy marriage between a husband and a wife for other alternatives, right? And even then within the boundaries of marriage, you see corruption where people just use one another as a sexual object. It's all there. we're, We're seeing it. It's rampant in our country today. I see also the people protect family and friends from sin or the consequences of it. And they they start believing that sin is okay because I love my family so much, I don't want to tell them they're wrong. And yet Jesus said, you know, if you're going to follow me, you're going to see splits in families. But you're going to have to either leave your mom, your dad, maybe your family to make a decision to follow Jesus, right? And some people, they're following, they're following, but suddenly one of their family members does something that's like, what do we do? We run to our family's defense instead of God. It's hard. It's hard when one of your family members, when somebody you love does something wrong. And yes, we want to be open to not judging them and knowing that God will pursue them so our job is to keep loving them just like in, what does the Bible say? If they, if they act like an unbeliever, you treat them like an unbeliever. And what do you do for unbelievers? You pray for them. When you have opportunity, you love them. But you don't ever say to an unbeliever, what you're doing is right. Right? That's harsh. It seems harsh. But that is what happens when... When, when we allow people to, everybody, that's your opinion, go and do your thing. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Nobody's wrong. Well, the truth is, there is right, there is wrong. 
Another thing I see very plainly is that we exercise revenge and, re, and the ultimate act of revenge is murder. And we have ways of sanitizing murder. And Jesus said, if you think so in your heart, you wish someone dead. And what we do is we just separate ourselves from people. We push them away. Divorce is an act of murder. I don't want you in my life anymore. I don't want to think about you. I want you gone. See, when we think those thoughts, that's just like murder. We're trying to eliminate someone, right? And and so we exercise revenge and murder as standard practice, right? And the last thing I see there is that everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes. But the truth is we need a king. We need a king. Now, let's... Let's fast forward here over to Samuel. And if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 3, very interesting. It says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel, he served the Lord, assisting Eli. And there's a whole whole series of things about, you know, a woman not being able to, to have a child. And then she has this child and she dedicates Samuel to the sanctuary. And he becomes a servant there in the sanctuary. And But here, here's the, the key verse. It says, Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were quite uncommon. Isn't that interesting? So we, we operate our lives in such a way that we just don't even think God is talking anymore. Everybody's talking, right? But it, are we listening to God? Do you have your Bible open? Are you reading it? God bless you. If, if, you're, if you're one of those people that just, every day you've got to read the Word. You've got to see what God is saying about stuff. And we know that all Scripture is inspired by God, right? And it's profitable for all those things that we talk about, how to live, how not to live, how, how to treat other people. We, everything we need is in the Scripture. God is still trying to speak to us. And it's not that God is not speaking, it's that we're not listening sometimes, right? And so then Samuel, little Samuel, he says, speak, Lord, your servant is what? Is listening. So uh, it's really interesting. Go down to verse 11, it says this. The Lord says to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing. In Israel. I love that. I love it. You know, when you read your Bible, I want to invite you. This is my last, you know, big hurrah here for a little while. Um, by, by the way, you know, um, I just want you to know, right or wrong, Brent has asked me to fill in uh, to preach when he's gone a couple of weeks in July. So I'll see you again later. All right. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. But... Um, so God is, is always doing shocking things. Not so shocking that it's really shocking. It's just shocking to us. Because we're not used to sitting and listening. We're maybe good at praying and talking to God and telling him all the things that we think he should be doing, either for us or for someone else. 
See, you see, everybody does what's right in their own minds, and I get in my mind what I think God should do, and I ask him for that, and I expect that from him. And instead, I need to spend some time with the Bible open on my lap, reading and say, speak, Lord. I mean, really, I want to invite you to do that this week. When you open your Bible, wherever you're at in the Bible, you say, Lord, as I read, I want to hear your voice. Not just the words on the page coming at me, but I need you to fill in the blanks. I, I need you to actually speak to me. And then I invite you to sit and listen. Really. Just sit and listen for a while. And ask God to impress on your heart, on your mind, what it is that is right, what it is that may be wrong, and then what it is that he wants you to do. That he wants you to do. Okay? Now, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, I'm going to carry out all my threats on Eli uh, and his family from beginning to end. I've warned them that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God. He hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offering. So Samuel stayed in his bed until morning and then he got up and he opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. And here it is. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. There's going to be this moment that you will have when you sat, you've read the, the word of God and you've listened. And then suddenly you have this aha moment where you realize this could be scary. Because I have to change the way I think. I have to change the way I treat somebody. I have to apologize. I have to speak truth into a situation where people are not living the way God wants them to live. It's going to be scary. And this is where the dividing line comes between those who say they want to follow and those who follow. Is they, they gulp a big gulp and then they go and they do what God tells them to do. Knowing that it may not be easy. It may be terrifying. <laughs> but it's what God calls you to do. Right? And so, uh, so he goes to, he goes to Eli. Right? He goes to Eli. And uh, Eli calls out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am I. There again, Samuel replies. And then in verse 17, it says, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. And then Eli replied, it's the Lord, if it's the Lord's will, let him do what he thinks is best. I admire Eli for that. Eli was the high priest. He knew that God was serious. That God meant business. 
Eli was aware that his sons were evil and was complicit in their in their evil by just allowing them to do it and not disciplining them for it, right? And so Eli said, essentially, God will have his way. He will. And he accepted the punishment that God meted out. And then after that, it says in verse 19, Samuel grew up and the Lord was with him and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And then very interesting, in verse 21, it says this, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And he was proven to be a prophet. And a prophet was proven by the fact that what he said, became, it came true, right? I love this because what it says is, is simple. We have a tendency to want to do our own thing. We have a tendency to want to be our own God. We have a tendency to have our opinion and make it the strongest opinion in the room. And what we need to do is understand that God creates us to have a relationship with him, to get back into the mode, to start thinking that God is God and we are not. Right? And I invite you to say that with me. God is God and I am not. Right? One more time, a little louder. God is God and I am not. Right? That's, that's our, our seat. That's our position. That's where we, that's where we rest. We understand that God is God. I'm not God. And so I need to depend on him. I need to depend on his word. I need to sit and say, speak, Lord. Your servant, me. I'm your servant, not your master. Your servant is listening. And God, give me the strength. Give me the ability to overcome my fears, to be able to obey you and do things in a way that is kind and gentle of spirit and humble, right? We don't need to be mean about it. This is God's work. And so we emulate Jesus, who was full of love, compassion, grace, mercy, and forgiveness for those who were outside of God's will. And so let us be those kind of people. Thank you for letting me be your leader for a while. Appreciate it. I love you and pray the best for you. Let's pray together. Okay. God, thank you. Thank you for the sound of your voice that comes through your word. Help us to be attentive to it in such a way that it reflects you. That we can take what you say and incorporate into our life and through the power of the spirit and through the encouragement of the family of God, we can be like Jesus. Help us to do so more and more and more. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.